0: Let's play a game called You Might Be a Mystic. You might be a mystic if you value spiritual experiences above the objective truth of God's Word. You might be a mystic if you seek after visions, dreams, new revelations from God, and hidden meanings in Scripture. You might be a mystic if you obsess over angels, even worship them. You might be a mystic if you act in pride toward others who do not possess the special spiritual insights you gained through extreme self-denial. Mysticism draws you into the shadows and away from the real substance of your faith, which is not found in rules or rituals, but in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good.
1: Hello, and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor of Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. Always glad to have you with us. Well, you may already be familiar with the term legalism, but what about mysticism or asceticism? Each of these can be an obstacle to our Christian faith and to our spiritual growth. Exactly what do these terms mean and how will we know them when we see them? find out next as ron continues his teaching series colossians jesus is greater than visit somethinggoodradio.org anytime to hear ron's messages on demand that's somethinggoodradio.org now here's ron with part two of his message the real substance of your faith
0: legalism is all about shadows old shadows and new shadows and it misses the substance of our faith. The first threat to the substance of your faith is legalism. I got to move on here. Second threat to the substance of your faith is mysticism. Now, let's move on here. In verse uh, 18, Paul says, now, let no one disqualify you. Earlier, he said, let no one judge you, Now he uses uh, a different word to say a similar thing. He says, don't let them disqualify you. It's an athletic term here, the word disqualify. It's the picture of an umpire that might say, you're out of (laughs) here. It's one thing to feel uncomfortable in a legalistic church. You know, you don't measure up to their uh, man-made, self-imposed, prideful list of do's and don'ts. It's another thing for the mystic to say to you, you're out of here too because you don't measure up. He says, don't let anybody disqualify you. Insisting on, and then he drops in this word, asceticism. And I want you to park it right there. We're going to come back to it because he uses this word in verse 18 and again in verse 23. But he quickly moves on to descriptions of, of mysticism. Insisting on worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up, there's pride, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head. Who is the head but Jesus Christ, right? From whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. Now, how would we uh, define mysticism? The practice of uh, mysticism could be defined as uh, Religious ecstasies, always looking for that new experience that leads to self-delusion and a dreamy confusion about, you know, what uh, the Christian life is all about. It is a dangerous threat to the real substance of your faith. So how do we recognize mysticism? What does that look like? How how do we see it when it stares us in the face? Well, let's play a little game called uh, You Might Be a Mystic If… You might be a mystic, for example, if you value spiritual experiences above the objective truth of God's Word. (laughs) There are all kinds of people walking around in churches today that say, yeah, 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 the Bible, that's the Word of God. But let me tell you about my experience. Let me tell you about the time Jesus and, you know, six or seven angels came to visit me at my house, and I had this conversation with him. Really? Come on now. Remember this principle, always judge an experience, whoever is, whether it's your experience or somebody else's, judge the experience by the objective truth of God's Word. Don't judge the objective truth of God's Word by your experience. And there's a real important difference between the two. The mystics are all about the experiences, and they elevate that above the Word of God. Secondly, you might be a mystic if you seek after visions, dreams, dreams, New revelations from God and hidden meanings in the Scripture. Again, there are all kinds of people going around today saying, you know, here's the Bible, but there's a hidden code that only the highly spiritual and highly trained can really understand. And the mystics with with pride and arrogance, you know, draw you into their false teachings. Listen, God is not playing a game of hide-and-seek with us. He, he, has, he is a God of mysteries. Deuteronomy 29 and verse 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord, but he is also a revealer of mysteries. And our job is, is not to play hide and seek with God and to find out the hidden things that he hasn't told us about that are only available through visions and dreams and all those kinds of things. No, he has plainly revealed through his written word and through his son Jesus Christ all that he wants us to know and all that we need to know in Jesus Christ. This is His Word. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. But get to know Him through His Word, His revealed Word. He has revealed Himself in the pages of Scripture and through His Son, Jesus Christ. Also, you might be a mystic if you obsess over angels and worship them. This was the problem in the church of Colossae. Paul says... Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the worship of angels. Now, why would you worship an angel even if you saw one? Throughout the pages of Scripture, whenever an angelic creature showed up to a prophet or somebody and that uh, made that person fall on his knees before the angel, the angel would say in so many words, hey, get up, I'm just like you. In fact, the teaching in the New Testament book of Hebrews is that angels are a little lower than us. Also, you might be a mystic if you take pride in possessing special spiritual insight gained through, and we'll get there in a moment, asceticism or extreme self-denial. You see, here was the problem with the mystics. They had this idea that they were unworthy to enter into the holy presence of God, and they needed help from a go-between, like an angel or a saint, maybe even Mother Mary. Okay, now I'm stepping on some some toes here, aren't I? I'm wading into the waters of Catholicism. There's no need to seek after a go-between because you feel somehow unworthy to enter into the presence of God. As a child of God, the writer of Hebrews tells us, come boldly into the presence of God. I don't need an angel, I don't need a saint, I don't need the Mother Mary, To get me into the presence of God through prayer. I have access to the, the Holy Throne Room of God in prayer because of my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the mystics would kind of feign humility. It's a false humility. And they would go chasing after the worship of angels and dreams and visions and all these kinds of things. And Paul says, you're cutting yourself off from the head. This is called headless Christianity. He says, they're puffed up without reason and not holding fast to the head. Who is the head? This is Jesus Christ. You know, quit fluttering around in the realm of angels and dreams and visions and secret things and mysteries and hidden codes in the text. You have a relationship with the head of the church. You go directly to the CEO. But when you dabble in all those other things, you're engaging in headless Christianity. And it's not a Christianity, it's not a faith that feeds you to grow. Uh, Not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God.
1: Still ahead, the rest of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Real Substance of Your Faith. Somethinggoodradio.org is the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, check out the new Something Good digital library where you can search to find answers to your biblical questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. You can stream for free and on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. The song Route 66 by Bobby Troop
0: captured the heartbeat of a generation that dreamed of traveling the open road on US 66 from Chicago, Illinois to Santa Monica, California. Get your kicks on Route 66. Get your kicks on Route 66 became the rally cry and part of the song's popular lyric. If reading the 66 books of the Bible was like a Route 66 road trip across America, people might do more than casually flip through the best-selling book of all time. That idea captured my heart and inspired me to write a book called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, making the Bible's story accessible to a new generation of people. Get your kicks on the Biblical Route 66. Join me on The Ultimate Road Trip Through the
1: Bible ron's new book the ultimate road trip through the bible volume one old testament is now available for a gift of thirty dollars or more request your copy of the 384 page book today when you order the print book you'll also get instant access to the route 66 digital library a $275 value. The digital library contains 66 video sermons, 66 audio messages, 66 downloadable sermon notes, and 8 ebooks. To order your copy of The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1, Old Testament, go to SomethingGoodRadio.org. That's SomethingGoodRadio.org. The ultimate road trip through the Bible is a welcome addition to any home library. And pastor, as you look back on your 66 messages through the Bible, what has been most impactful about the experience and what are you hoping our listeners will get from the book? Brian, one of the most impactful
0: things for me was to experience the grace of God energizing and equipping me to hammer out the project. Uh, My relationship with the Lord has grown even more intimate from having persevered to the end. One of the things I hoped to accomplish was to show people how the whole of God's Word hangs together and to do it without writing endless volumes of commentary. So this uh, abbreviated resource called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible is a companion to the Bible and offers the reader a bit of a, a bird's eye view of the major themes of each book showing how all 66 books of the Bible fit together to produce a
1: unified work of the Holy Spirit. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org to request the ultimate road trip through the Bible, volume one, Old Testament for your gift of $30 or more. Give over the phone and call our offices at 757-276-1099 or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245 Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. Now the second half of today's message, the real substance of your faith. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones.
0: So the threat to the real substance of our faith is found in legalism, it's found in mysticism, thirdly, and finally, in asceticism. And we found that word in verse 18, and it appears also in verse 23, let's read on beginning in verse 20. If with Christ, Paul says, you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now throughout church history asceticism led to monasticism, the monasteries and the monks. Asceticism is this idea of going to extreme measures of self-denial, I'm talking extreme the kind of extreme measures that uh, involved uh, extreme fasting that did damage to the body, extreme exposure to heat and cold, uh, sleep deprivation, flagellation, even self-mutilation. The the ascetics and the monastics were people who felt like uh, to really, you know, be on the receiving end of God's favor, I have to go to the extreme end of self-denial and spiritual discipline, even to the damaging of their own body. Listen, friends, there's nothing in the Scripture uh, that encourages us to do that. One author says, followers of Christ are told to deny self, and he's right. Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, followers uh, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Self-denial is certainly a part of the Christian life as opposed to the self-indulgence that our culture invites us to. It says, followers of Christ are told to deny self, but asceticism takes this command to an extreme. The Bible never suggests that a Christian should purposefully seek out discomfort or pain. On the contrary, God has richly blessed us with everything for our enjoyment. The Bible warns of those who forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. Thus, it is erroneous to believe that celibates who also abstain from certain foods are more holy than other people. Where did we ever get that idea? We are, not, uh, we are under grace, he says, not under the law. Therefore the Christian does not live by a set of rules, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Christ has set us free. In many cases, the ascetic practices self-denial in order to earn God's favor or somehow purge himself from sin, this shows a misunderstanding of grace. No amount of austerity can earn salvation or merit God's love. Now, again, that is not to say that the Christian life is not a life of self-denial and discipline. Even the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And in the Greek word that is translated ascetic or asceticism, uh, it, it means exercise or training or practice. But you can take that to an extreme, right? Right? Paul says, discipline yourself, gymnazo yourself. It's where we get our word gymnasium. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Yes, that involves spiritual exercise and training and practice. But you can go to such an extreme on that that you do damage to your body. And God never intends for that. So the, the, the threat that was true in Colossae and, and is even true in our world today, the threat to the real substance of our faith are these religious practices that on the, on the outside look very spiritual and allow the person who is full of pride to be puffed up in self-righteousness and to even look down his or her nose at somebody next to him and say, you know, based on my legalistic list of do's and don'ts and Uh, my my delving into mysticism. Do you know the secret things that God wants us to know, like I do? Or even, you know, the extreme practices of self-denial? This is not the real substance of our faith. The real substance of our faith is found in a real, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Not a shadow, not a photograph of Him. You know, God could have sent us a photograph, I suppose. Here's my son. See the picture of him? Smiling, you know. He loves you. No, he sent him here physically. The Gnostics in the first century and second century wanted us to believe in in this spiritual and mystical Jesus. And they said the body was evil, and Jesus really didn't have a body and all those kinds of things. Ah, That's foolishness. The plain teaching of Scripture is that he is the incarnate Son of God. 100% God and 100% man, God in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We don't need the shadows anymore. All of that was a foreshadowing of the reality that is to come, and that reality and that substance is found in Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody judge your spirituality by elevating law over grace. Don't anybody… let let anybody declare you unworthy to walk into the holy presence of God because you're not as mystical as they are. And certainly, do not let anybody enslave you with extreme measures of self-denial. Just be in a relationship with Jesus. It's personal. It's authentic. It's real. It's not a shadow or a foreshadowing. He really came in flesh and blood. When he rose from the dead, he said to his disciples, feel feel the nail scars in my hands and my side. He's a real body. he's a glorified body at that point. But that's the real substance of our faith. My question for you this morning is, do you have a real and personal relationship with Jesus Christ by faith and through grace? If you're delving around and swimming in these shallow waters of legalism and mysticism and asceticism, maybe even monasticism, and you're thinking those are the paths to take you to a a higher plane and a more spiritual place, and you're becoming puffed up in pride as you look at others who are not willing to go there with you, come on, you're just splashing around in the shallow end. You're dealing with shadows. I don't wanna hug a shadow, I I wanna hug the reality. And I wanna deal with the real substance of our faith and not get off in cuckoo land with this other stuff. Do you have a real personal relationship with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? And is that enough for you?
1: Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, the real substance of your faith. And I'm pleased to welcome in Dr. Ron Jones right to our studio. Ron, this idea of asceticism reminds me of something Jesus himself said. One of those hard sayings of Christ that I'm sure has caused many Christians to do a double take. He said, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. So on the one hand, we're saying God doesn't ask us to go to extremes, but here we have Christ's own words that seem to contradict that notion. How do we reconcile these two ideas? Brian, I had a feeling that's the question you'd be asking me today.
0: It certainly seems problematic at first glance, but let's take a closer look at the context of both ideas. What the Apostle Paul was addressing here in Colossians was this notion that by resorting to extreme measures such as self-mutilation, a person could somehow earn his or her salvation. Paul wanted to make sure he refuted that idea swiftly and plainly. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is right in the midst of his famous Sermon on the Mount. He is talking about how our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, and he's raising the bar on righteousness as he walks through a reminder of the Ten Commandments. He comes to the one about adultery, and he says uh, that uh, adultery is equated to lust even in the heart. And he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, you know, chop it off. Is he encouraging self-mutilation? Well, on the contrary, he's, he's using a literary tool known as hyperbole. Hyperbole is simply exaggeration to make the point. And what he wants us to understand by use of exaggeration is that sin is very serious business and we need to take it seriously. That sin, yes, dealt with radically as sin dealt with effectively. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that he's recommending or suggesting or encouraging self-mutilation. He wants us to take sin seriously, uh, just as seriously as he did. In fact, Jesus took sin so seriously that it took him all the way to the cross where he died on that cross uh, to pay the penalty for our sin. And he's asking us to take sin just as seriously. Sometimes it takes radical steps. Uh, changes that need to come about in our lives in order to avoid uh, the pitfalls of sin. Uh, Does that mean self-mutilation? Again, Jesus is exaggerating to make the point, and I think he makes his point very clearly in Matthew chapter
1: 5. Thanks so much, Ron. I'm sure you've helped a few people rest a little easier. So quickly, what do you have in store for us next time as you continue your series, Colossians, Jesus is Greater Than?
0: Brian, I've alluded to this briefly during this series, but next time I'll get into it more thoroughly. And that's the idea of Christians having a new identity in Christ. Here's what Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 tell us, "...set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God." Well, what does it mean to be hidden in Christ? What should it look like, practically speaking, as we live out our lives? These are some of the questions I'll explore as I move ahead in my series, Colossians,
1: Jesus is greater than. That's next time when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, Your New Identity in Christ. Join us then for Something Good for Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio. I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.